I get the new lectern. Ooh. Hey, what about that? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> we had a break last Sunday, if you remember, that from our current series of Mission Continued when we had Henk with us and our times of refreshing weekend. Uh, but if you remember back before that, we are working our way through Acts and particularly Paul's second and third journeys. We've reached Acts 20. Paul's nearing the end of his third journey and he wants one last conversation with the elders from Ephesus before heading on to Jerusalem. But rather than look in detail at what Paul says to the elders, I want us to take an overview of his journeys because the theme this week is mission continued and the apostolic and see if we can identify what an apostle is, what he does, and what relevance it has for us today. To do this, I'd like to go back beyond where we started this series and begin with his first journey in Acts 13. We're going to work our way through from there to Acts 20. So you may want to put your finger in chapter 13, unless you're on your phone, in which case it doesn't quite work that way. If you don't have a Bible, we have a, a reasonable selection of Bibles at the back, and I think it will help. I'm not going to put the verses up on the screen because I'm going to use a map. So if you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow, John Mark has a number in his hand. Just pop your hand up and he will bring them to you. And if while you're finding Acts 13... Let me give you a simple definition of what an apostle is. The word means sent or messenger. So at its most basic level, that is what Paul was, a messenger sent by God. In Ephesians 4, he gives an indication of the purpose of this gift, where he states he gave some as apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So this is one of several gifts that work together to equip the church. Now, if you've found Acts 13, let's start on our journey and see what we can discover about mission and the apostolic. So we're looking at the first uh, journey that Paul made, which we hadn't looked at before, and I get to use my little pointy thing, which is great. Um, so that gives you an idea of where this was taking place, and if we then zoom in, you can see a bit more detail uh, of where he went, and we'll look at that as we go along. We find Paul in Antioch with Barnabas and several other prophets and teachers, and the Holy Spirit speaks to them. In verse 2, he says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And a few verses on, you'll see that Saul is actually Paul. He changes his name. And as a result of the Holy Spirit speaking in this way, the believers in Antioch fasted, prayed, and then sent Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, away. We don't know what else the Spirit may have said but they leave, they go, they travel. This may seem somewhat obvious, but the apostolic gift is not a stationary one. 
we'll see that there are occasions when Paul does stay in one place for some time, but this is a traveling ministry. They head to the coast and set out for Cyprus. Verse 5, when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. So they are preaching. This is another key element of this gift, and we'll see it throughout Paul's journeys. They continue this across the island. We don't know how long they were there, but they had sufficient impact that by the time they reached Paphos, the proconsul has heard about them and summons them in order to hear their message. Now, strangely, he has a magician and a false prophet with him who attempts to oppose them when they start speaking. But Paul performs a miracle. Maybe not what you would have expected. It says in verse 11, Behold, the ha- this is Paul speaking to this magician, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed what, when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So miracles enhance the word. They bring clarity by focusing people's attention on what's being said. After this, they leave the island and they arrive at Perga in Pamphylia, where we learn that John Mark leaves them. We pick up later that Paul wasn't very impressed with this, but for now we see that right from the outset, this is not a solitary ministry. John Mark had come from Jerusalem with Barnabas and Paul and then accompanied them on this trip. Again, we'll find out throughout Paul's journeys that he travels in team with people, coming and going in a very fluid way. This must have been particularly important for Paul, given that travel was not very easy and would have increased costs with food and accommodation with more people with him. After John Mark left them, they travelled on to Pisidian Antioch, and you can see that up here. That's about 100 miles across the mountains. And once again, he went straight to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Even though Paul knew his ministry was to the Gentiles, he'd heard that from Ananias at his conversion, and he owned it quite openly in his letter to the Galatians. But he was still continually drawn back to the synagogues. Now, as a rabbi, he would have been invited to teach, but he chose evangelism, that is to preach the good news of Jesus. The message was well received, verse 42, with requests for a return visit, come back next Sabbath from the people. And then we see that the Jews, the Jewish leaders, followed them, presumably asking questions, what all this is about. But the following week, things changed quite quickly. Huge crowds gathered, and the Jewish leaders found that jealousy quickly overcame their desire for good teaching. They contradicted Paul's teaching and even blasphemed. 
which Paul took as the sign that he should change direction and turn to the Gentiles. And they were thrilled and responded with many becoming believers. Now this next session from about verse 50 onwards is really interesting. The Jewish leaders stir up a group of leading men and women and they start persecuting Paul and Barnabas and drive them out. They are persecuted and they leave. They come to Iconium and a similar thing happens. Great response, reaction from the Jews who stir up pressure on them. They are persecuted but they stay. The pressure increases and they get wind of a plot to stone them. Persecuted, and they leave. Moving on to Lystra and Derby. You could say that they decide to stay until their lives are threatened. And that may be right, but I think there's definitely a reliance on the Holy Spirit to direct them. And this is borne out just a little later. In Acts 14, 19, they're in Lystra. And it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, I guess they prayed as well, he got up and entered the city. The next day, He went away with Barnabas to Derby. You can understand that. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. We also know that Paul wasn't very well at this time. In Galatians 4, he refers to it. He says, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. His letter to the Galatians is to these churches. There's Galatia, that's the area, and these churches are the churches that he wrote to. When we read his letter to the Galatians, it's to these churches that he was speaking to. You may have spotted another activity of the apostolic gift to appoint elders in churches. Again, we don't know how long Paul and Barnabas were on this journey together, but when we look at the qualities, and characteristics and requirements of elders that Paul and Peter outline in their letters, 1 Peter 5, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1 and 2, they're all primarily about character. So they must have been there long enough to know these guys well, particularly their character and gifting. And at the end of Acts 14, we see that Paul and Barnabas return to Antioch. Now, that's the one down here where they started, not the one up there where they were in Galatia. So they go back from where they were sent to their home church base, and they report back 
all that God has done. And they spend a long time there. This is clearly important for Paul. Let's take a breather and bring, bring ourselves right up to date. We are King's Church Oxted. We're an independent, evangelical, charismatic church. We're responsible for ourselves, and we have a role to play in the community around us. But we're not isolated, because we're in relationship with other churches. Immediate evidence of that is Catherine and Edge coming to lead worship here. They're Hope Church Sevenoaks. So why them? Well, they, like us, are part of a sphere called New Ground. A sphere is a group of churches that relate to an apostle. In our case, Dave Holden. For the churches in Galatia, it was Paul. In turn, Dave relates to other apostles with spheres in the UK and around the world who are part of New Frontiers. I don't have time to go into the history of New Frontiers, but one phrase from a prophetic word in the early days was, we are more together than we are apart. And that describes something of the purpose of being in relationship with these other churches. So does Dave Holden reflect some of the apostolic evidences we've identified from Paul? Let me read from some of his recent tweets and see if you can spot any of them. Last Friday, he tweeted, Off to Paris with Liz, that's his wife, and John and Judith Latoc. John is part of Dave's core team, and like Dale, and currently involved with the French churches, because he speaks French. Then Dave says, French Leaders' Day tomorrow, that was yesterday, and speaking CVV Paris on Sunday, that's today. So Dave is currently speaking in the church in Paris. He tweeted on Thursday. So I'm going to go backwards, as it were, with these tweets. Thursday, he said, good to be with Everyday Church London elders, venue leaders, and some staff. On Wednesday, he tweeted, had a great day with Graham and Belinda Marsh, King's Church Eastbourne, and then on to speak with their pastoral team. Last Sunday, looking forward to being at New Community Church Sig Cup site today. Love home church, he tweets. Then the 16th of November, that's what, about 10 days ago? Really enjoyed my day with the leaders of Freedom Church Liverpool. Thanks, guys, for the coffee, lunch, tea crawl round the docks. And Freedom Church reply, the pleasure was all ours, Dave. Thanks so much for coming. We are so excited to be part of New Ground. Also on the 16th of November, really enjoyed having New Community Church Eltham round our house last night. And then on the 12th of November, that's what, two weeks ago? Thanks King's Church Edinburgh for a great weekend. Faith, action, miracles, revival. Right, let's go back to Acts, back into chapter 15. Some people, some men had come to Antioch and were saying that circumcision was a requirement of salvation. Paul and Barnabas debate with them and disagree. 
And they are singled out to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders there, which they do. And when they arrive, they're received not just as messengers, but received by the apostles. There's recognition of them as leader of leaders. And they stay to be part of the discussion, the council of Jerusalem, and the judgment that comes from it. And then they're chosen among those to be sent out with that judgment in a letter to distribute it amongst the churches. This also demonstrates relationship and accountability amongst recognized apostles that is reflected also within New Frontiers. They host an annual gathering of sphere leaders. This year it was in Turkey. And they gather together to discuss things. What do you think about this? What's happening there? And there's accountability and relationship between them. So Paul and Barnabas are then back in Antioch, having been to Jerusalem. They come back again. They've brought the letter. They've encouraged the church. And at verse 36, it says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. I like this verse because it really shows a personal side to Paul. We can easily see him as this focused scholar, determined to preach the gospel far and wide. But so much of his writing, which is so much of our New Testament, is because he cares for the churches. And he hates to see them diverging from the truth and missing the wonderful benefits of being a believer. Now, he and Barnabas have a bit of a disagreement at this point because Barnabas wants to take John Mark along with them again. But Paul recalls how he left them on the last journey. Clearly, loyalty and trust are important to him. What's good is that from his letters, Colossians and 2 Timothy, we find that they are actually reconciled as he instructs the Colossians to welcome John Mark. And he says to Timothy, he is useful to me. But it does mean that at this point, Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways. Barnabas to Cyprus with John Mark and Paul heads north with Silas. Now, Silas had been in Jerusalem with them and had traveled back to Antioch, and he then comes with Paul on this journey. Again, Paul doesn't travel alone, but in team. In fact, when he arrives at Derby and Lystra, he adds to his team by inviting Timothy, a young man who was well spoken of in Lystra and Iconium. But Paul clearly sees potential leadership in him. Now, Acts 16, about verse 6 onwards, we have a lot of journeying going on that is directed by the Holy Spirit. And he instructs in very different ways, and some quite strongly. Luke says, uses words like forbidden, did not permit them. And then there's a vision. But the impact is remarkable, with the gospel taking root in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus. These were cities of differing size, 
but all influential in some way. Commerce, trade, uh, education, mining. And it's interesting that despite his ministry to the Gentiles, Luke writes in Acts 17.2 that according to Paul's custom, he went to the synagogues, to the Jews first. But there's a fluid nature to his stopping or going in these places. And it's not always obvious to, his, uh, to the responses that he gets to his teaching. In Philippi, Lydia and the Jalo, we heard about them several weeks ago. They respond to the gospel, but he quite quickly moves on. In Thessalonica, there's a limited response from the Jews, but a great multitude of God-fearing Greeks. However, a mob and an uproar results in the believers sending them on to Berea. Here, there's an eagerness for the gospel, and Paul finds himself meeting daily with those interested. When the Jews pursue them from Thessalonica, Paul is sent away and arrives in Athens. But Silas and Timothy stay behind. In Athens, while he is waiting for Timothy and Silas to catch him up, he again goes to the synagogue as well as daily in the marketplace. He gets a limited response and moves on to Corinth despite the fact that his team hadn't arrived. There he gets a pretty poor response from the Jews, but ends up staying 18 months next door to the synagogue. Moving on from there to Ephesus with Aquila and Priscilla, he again goes to the synagogue, gets a great response from the Jews, begging him to stay, but he leaves and heads back to home base in Antioch. I find this fluidity of stopping and staying versus moving and going Encouraging, because when I look at all Paul achieved, and we haven't touched on his letter writing yet, I can be tempted to see him as this spiritual superstar and to see Apostle as the top of the hierarchical pile of gifts. Now, I don't want to downgrade all he achieved, but ultimately, he was just a man gifted by God. And when I look round here, I see men and women gifted by God. And Paul saw it this way too. When he wrote to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts, he says that no gift is any more or less important than another. So we see something of his humanity through this journey. He shows he needs to rely on the Spirit. And at one point, Jesus appears to him in a vision, and he has to allay his fears. Acts 18, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer. That means he had been afraid. We don't normally think about Paul being afraid, this great man of God going here and there and everywhere. But Jesus appears to him and said, don't be afraid any longer. But go on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. He's got fears about what might happen. But Jesus says, I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now, there are a few other points to note before we move on. 
that may not be immediately obvious. Paul wrote the, the, our earliest letter that we have in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, while he was in Corinth. We know that he left Silas and Timothy in Berea when he moved on to Athens and that they joined him again in Corinth. Acts 18.5 tells us that. But we learn more from the letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians. In Thessalonians 3.1-6 it says, When we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we've been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as also we long to see you. You see the humanity of Paul in this. But we also learn that he sent Timothy, which would indicate Paul had seen growth in this young man, that he could be trusted, not just to take a message, but acting in his own right to strengthen and encourage the church, even possibly to deal with them losing faith in the face of temptation. This is a development of team not just traveling together, but being sent on Paul's behalf and responsible for themselves. And one more thing before we move on. Paul was supported by the churches for the churches. In the early verses of Acts 18, we see that Paul worked as a tent maker, supporting himself along with Aquila and Priscilla and teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Then in verse 5, things change. It says, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began to devote himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And we learn a bit more about that from the, the letter that Paul wrote later to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9 says this, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you, I was in need. I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you. I was not a burden. And I don't want, and I will continue not to be a burden. We also see from his letter to the Philippians that they supported him. Philippians 4, 15 and 16. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. 
all supported by the churches for the churches. Let's pause a moment again and see how this is reflected today. You'll have heard from Dave's recent tweets that he is often with churches and this shows his care, wanting to support and serve them. But one man can't support over 40 churches in that way. So he has a team of people given freedom to extend his reach and also bring their own gifting. For example, Hank Kirsten, who was with us last weekend, is with the church in Crawley this weekend. And he is also more directly supporting the churches in Europe with a particular focus on Romania. Jonathan Latoc is bringing support to the churches in France as a French speaker from Guernsey. Chris Taylor, who's based in The Hague, has a particular focus on church planting, looking after Brussels, Maastricht and Berlin. Jim Partridge from Mid-Sussex was in Hillingdon last weekend when they were appointing new elders. And caring for churches in a slightly different way, we have Phil Moore running the academy. Training leaders in the word of the Lord to bring strength and good foundations to our churches and church plants in the future. And from that original base in Wimbledon, this has developed satellites that are operating in Edinburgh, in Guernsey, in Paris, and next year in Brashoff, Romania. What about money? Paul was quite open about money and his support, as well as being flexible depending on the situation, rather than demanding any sort of fixed arrangement. He says to the Philippians how he was content in every circumstance, whether in want or in plenty. And we're also flexible in Newground. In the past, Dave has been supported by his church in Sidcup, more recently directly through Newground. And Newground is only able to do that through regular support from the churches like us. And that releases Dave to travel and bring care, support, encouragement, teaching, direction, training, and more, supported by the churches, for the churches. So back to Acts 18 and the third journey. And there was probably, if you look at verses 22 and 23, which was the, the end of the second and the beginning of the third, there's probably about two years between those two verses. And Paul sets off again, not to regions beyond, but back to the churches he's seen and been to before. He heads north again and through Galatia, strengthening the believers. He finds himself once again in Ephesus and meets some disciples, probably not those who had urged him to stay on his last visit, as when he spoke to them, they'd not even heard about the Holy Spirit, and we're pretty sure he would have told them quite clearly. But once again, he starts in the synagogue, spends about three months there, but despite his best efforts, there was little response. So he finds space in the school of Tyrannus and is there every day for two years. During this period, there are amazing miracles and what he describes as a wide door of effective service and there are many adversaries. That's what he said to the Corinthians. 
We know from Acts that one of these adversaries was Demetrius, a silversmith who stirred up the people and caused a riot. They were shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Not Artemis of Oxted. <laughs> Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they dragged Paul and his companion, or Paul's companions, to the theatre. Now, Liz and I were in Ephesus just a couple of months ago. So I'm not going to show you our holiday snaps, but I will show you some pictures of Ephesus. This is, uh, that's Artemis. So that was the god that they were worshipping. The next one is the large amphitheater. This would have held about 50,000 people. And that would indicate that Ephesus was a city of probably about half a million. The large amphitheater would have been about 10% of the population. And then this next one is, this is the Arcadian Way with the amphitheater behind you looking down to the sea and to the harbour. The, the sea is now about two or three miles away and receded, but you would have been able to see the sea down this main, and that would have been the main entrance in off the harbour. This next one is the small theatre. This is where the council would have met, and it's possible it's not clear whether Paul's companions would have been taken here or to the larger one. This next one is the Agora, or the marketplace. And you can see all the little stalls. It's a huge area with all these different shops around the outside and lots of activity going on in the middle. It's quite possible that Demetrius would have had one of these shops and sold his silverware from there. This is the main street. Looking down, there's the amphitheater down and then the harbor off to the left. And you can imagine a really bustling, busy city. And this next one is a room in a house. And it may not have been the school of Tyrannus, but you can imagine it was a little bit like this with people coming to hear Paul speak to them. And during the two to three years that Paul was in Ephesus, he wrote Corinthians, our 1 Corinthians, but his second letter to them, we've lost the first one, and also his letter to the Galatians. And we see evidence of a strategic plan for his future, which was possibly stimulated by the ongoing financial need of the church in Jerusalem, which he encouraged the churches to support. In 1 Corinthians 16, he talks about the collection for the saints as I directed the churches in Galatia. He says, on the first day of every week, put some money aside so that no collections were made when I arrive. And he says, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And I might also go with them but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you. Maybe you can send me on my way wherever I go. But there's clearly more to his plan than just managing the collection. Acts 19.21, he says, after these things, or Luke says, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, 
after I've been there, I must also see Rome. However, he stayed in Ephesus much longer than he expected at that point because of this wide door of effective service that he spoke about. But eventually, he moves on and finds his way to Corinth, where he stays three months. And it's strange looking back what Luke passes over in his account, because at the time, they probably held little significance for them. In Acts 20, and verses 1 to 2, it says, He left to go to Macedonia. When he had gone through those districts and given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. So he's talking about this whole journey right the way around here. So it was quite, and it's all in just a couple of verses. But during that time, he probably wrote another letter to the Corinthians, our two Corinthians, but his fourth, because we haven't got the third one, and also the letter to the Philippians. It's quite possible that while he was in Macedonia, in this area up here, that he went that way, north-west, um, towards, Il- I'm going to say this wrong, Illyricum. Illyricum. I always look at Becky when I try and say these things. Um, and that is the area on the northeast shore of the Adriatic, where we currently find Albania, Montenegro, Serbia, Croatia. And he probably wrote Romans during his three-month stay in Corinth. But in Romans, he says, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. We don't know exactly when he went up there, but it's more than likely during that period, just those couple of verses in Acts. We know from Acts 20 verse 3 that his plan was to sail from Corinth straight across to Syria to deliver the collection to Jerusalem. And he wanted to get there before Pentecost. So he was waiting for favorable winds and likely to be on the same boat as Jews heading to Jerusalem for the Passover. And it says they were plotting against him. Maybe they were planning to throw him overboard. We don't know, but we do know he changed direction and returned via Macedonia all the way round back again, arriving in Troas to meet up with those companions. There's a list of names from different places, and they're probably the people who were sent from the churches with the gifts for Jerusalem. He avoids Ephesus, even though he'd been there two or three years, but he wants to speak again to the elders before he moves on. And so he goes to Miletus, which is about 30 miles from Ephesus. And when the elders come, it's a hard word. It's not particularly encouraging that Paul shares with them. He doesn't know what his future will be, but it's unlikely to include Ephesus again. He won't see them. He prophesies that savage walls will come to them, as well as those within the church speaking perversions of the gospel. And pretty much with that, he prays for them and leaves. So finally, what of these things do we see today? At Ashburnham this year, Dave encouraged us to give an offering that would be to serve the churches. Some for things like travel and training for those churches that are unable to afford those things. Some for relief around the world when we hear about particular needs. 
and some to fund church plants into strategic can't speak into strategic towns and cities that individual churches couldn't sustain on their own. What about changes of direction? Well, there hasn't been a plot to drown him, so far as we know, but Dave had planned to go to Zimbabwe and Mozambique earlier this year. However, he was suffering a bad back that meant he was unable to fly and had to change his plans. We don't know why these things happen. God could just as easily have protected Paul from the plotting of the Jews, and he could have healed Dave in time for the trip. Sometimes we just have to change direction. Without going into details, I am and have been aware of difficult and challenging situations that the apostolic guys have had to deal with, bringing correction and often hard words to leaders and churches. They're not easy, but easier than living with the consequences of not speaking up. Let me finish just by explaining why I've, I've approached this subject in this way. I think for most of us, we are largely unaware of the role or influence of the apostolic gift within the church. And what I've tried to sh- do is show that just as in Acts, the role and influence is there, but not always immediately obvious. I imagine that with all this talk of Paul, you've got perhaps a bit of a picture in your mind of what he was like. Well, this is a description from the second century. A man, small in size, with meeting eyebrows and a rather large nose, bald-headed, bow-legged, strongly built, full of grace, for at times he looked like a man, and at times he had the face of an angel.